The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with The Birth Circle, and today I'm so excited to have Anne and Sherry from Success with Breastfeeding, and we're going to talk about uh, myths, um, old wives' tales about breastfeeding, and I am so excited. I I, I called, actually, Anne the other day because um, a friend of mine contacted me and asked, she had a brand new baby grandson, and asked me what type of root beer her daughter should be drinking um, to help bring the milk in, and I was like, what? I have never heard that one. I mean, I appreciate that you think I'm smart and all, but I had never heard that one. So I call up my aunt and I said, what kind of root beer? And she, without skipping a beat, not even laughing at me, said, oh, what she, what she means is actual beer <laughs> is what it comes down to the oh, real myth. <laughs> and people turned it into root beer. Um, and what they're really looking for is the yeast that is in the beer, which sadly there isn't a lot in root beer. <laughs> and um, so we use brewer's yeast instead as a nutritional supplement to help um, encourage milk supply or production. Oh, wow. So she doesn't need to drink so gallons she, of a so she just <laughs> open up the packet of brewer's yeast? Or, no, no. What is brewer's where, where do you get brewer's, brewer's yeast? Amazon, <laughs> two-day shipping. Um, any nutritional store will have it, but I like to get the debittered kind because if you don't, it can be quite strong. And moms add it to different lactation cookie recipes. And oh, so um, then does the cookies taste? The debittered, beer-y? you really can't even notice it in there. They also put it in smoothies or salads or any way that they can disguise this brewer's yeast. But we have a lactation, like, protein ball recipe that we use it in, and it's really oh, quite wow. delicious. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so, so stick with the yeast. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny to me. Um, okay, so let's back up and tell me a little bit about your histories. Why did you become so fascinated with boobs and milk and all things boobs and milk? <laughs> <laughs> that we are. Well, I'm Sherry Gunn, and... Um, I am an RN and started out working in the NICU and mother-baby units and had my own children and had a difficult time nursing my first couple babies. And so I had some poor experiences with a lactation consultant and decided I never wanted anyone to have that. And so I started into the field um, and now am currently nursing my sixth baby and just we love helping moms and we love everything boobs. <laughs> How about you, Anne? That we do. Um, <laughs> I'm Anne Tolis. I'm also an RN and my background is in NICU as well. So um, when Sherry and I met up, we were kind of like the perfect um, match for each other mm-hmm. because there's not very many people that are nurses, mothers, lactation consultants, all things that go together that make us think a lot the same. Mm. Um But I used to follow a lady around the hospital and she would help everybody breastfeed. And I'd say to her, I want to be you when I grow up. And so the first opportunity (laughs) I had, I was like, I want to be her. 
So that's how I got into it, just working with moms on postpartum and, and NICU for so many years. I loved breastfeeding my own four children, even though it had plenty of struggles along the way. And I just wanted to share that with lots of other moms who, once I was working in the hospital with a lot of them, I realized that many, many moms were not having smooth, easy breastfeeding experiences. But it's natural. It's supposed to be easy, right? Mm, yeah, we're going to get there because <laughs> that Myth unfortunately one. <laughs> is untrue. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's tackle that one right off the bat. Myth number one is it's natural, so it's easy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I would say so many moms that we work with are genuinely shocked and surprised. They say, well, I didn't think about this because breastfeeding's natural and so it's going to be easy. You plan all along for the labor and the delivery mm -hmm. of your baby and you think about so much about that and make plans and study it. Then all of a sudden you have this baby in your arms and think to yourself, uh, well, now what do what I do? What do I do? I just <laughs> shove it in its face and it's going to be fine, yeah, right? I forgot to think about this, but actually <sighs> breastfeeding is a learned skill for both moms and babies. So sometimes it takes some education and some help and some support and some guidance in order to get to that good part of breastfeeding. So that's where we really believe that prenatal education is will change the breastfeeding experience for moms. So what kind of education prenatally can you have about breastfeeding? There's lots of different ways. A lot of times moms will check out books or um, listen to podcasts or <laughs> webinars. We actually have an online class that we offer so that moms can watch it in their home. You can take a class in person. Um, I was daunted as a first-time mom when I got a book that was on breastfeeding and it was yeah. like 400 pages long. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I thought this was supposed to be natural, natural and easy. And, simple. <laughs> and, so, um, and it was very technical and, and it didn't make sense to my non-mommy brain yet because I didn't have that wiggling baby in my arms yet. And so I didn't know. Oh, and yeah. even, even when you take the class, um, and like Anne said, it's a learned skill, until you have your baby and your set of, of – boobs yeah. <laughs> that you're dealing with because we see all sorts of sizes and shapes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And no completely. two boobs are alike, right? Uh-huh. So, um, and even between pregnancies, I know that my nipples were different shapes and my milk supply was different. Like for sure. every single baby is different. For sure. And so until you have that specific baby in your arms and you're dealing with that baby and that delivery and, and that set of circumstances, it um, changes. And so it's good to have the knowledge base of what mm -hmm. to expect on how your baby works, how your body works, and then we can fine tune to what those needs are for that baby. And so that's why we really encourage moms not only to get the education before, but to seek help afterwards from an IBCLC um, so that even you just need to have a good check-in just to make sure things are going well, um, you don't have any questions or that there's nothing that we see that might put some red flags up yeah. in our brain. Yeah. Okay. So what are some, uh, okay. I just had to be, cause IBCLs are expensive. Like IBCLC, which stands for International Board, Board Certified, Certified Lactation, Lactation Consultant. Consultant, which is different than a lactation consultant. You guys have like a kajillion hours. It is actually. Um, and that is, I think a big thing on the internet where People think that everybody's the same working in the lactation world. So we have the background of being an RN, which really helps our assessment skills and and those kind of things working with babies. But then we have also put in extra hours of education. A bazillion. <laughs> as well as 1,000 clinical hours of experience before you can even apply to sit for the international boards. So before we even got our IBCLC, we'd had put in that many hours of of practice at least. 
Um, then you take the international board. So you are and- a medical pr- practitioner? Is, is that like, yes. that's yeah. the level of mm-hmm. wow cool okay so um yeah so I just have a baby and I'm struggling a little bit to breastfeed I'm nervous to call an IBCLC because of cost or sometimes you guys are a little bit rare Absolutely. so what are some of the things that like I would be calling you for um I would say probably in the first couple of days the main reasons that we're getting called is difficulty with baby latching um, or painful nipples. Oh, you know what? It surprised me that your milk doesn't come in right after the baby comes. Oh, that was our number, number two. two. That's exactly oh. where we were headed. <laughs> okay, I'll let you finish. This no, one. we can. We no, can that's get that. Yeah, that surprised me. That really surprised me. And so, so here he is gnawing on this, this, this dry nipple, and I'm just about ready to claw the ceiling off. Exactly. That's our myth number two: is that I don't have milk. We hear that so many times when we walk into the room. Mom says, I don't have milk. And while it's true you don't have two ounces of milk, you have the first milk. And that's what we call colostrum. And so you might have heard that word before um, or liquid gold that starts in the beginning. But your body is ready to feed your baby right as soon as that baby is delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's in little drops. And so that's where we have but that But what if your baby is just, I'm, I'm, I'm just hungry, hungry, chomping at the bit at two days. My, my milk didn't come in. I don't know if I should have been taking brewer's yeast or something, but my milk didn't come in until like third and a half, fourth day it really, for all four babies. And I thought I was going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really a day fiver. Take three, yeah. Three to five days is absolutely But what do you feed your baby normal. in the meantime? Every hour. No. What do you do? Like their child. <gasps> yes. So it's small, frequent feeding. So that's formula? why I end up doing. No, I don't. I didn't want to do formula. If I so, like, what can you do when your baby's like starving? Yeah, we do run into this sometimes, and there is a need sometimes for babies to be supplemented with formula or donor milk, or mm-hmm. there's lots of different ways for that to be taking place. But Sometimes we're able to use a supplementer at the breast, which we do mm. really like that, a supplemental nursing system where we can have the formula or donor milk or whatever in this little contraption that's yep. up here above the shoulder and the tube comes down the breast so moms are able to supplement yep, at the I breast. Yeah, I used one of those. It was mm-hmm. pretty amazing. I'd just get him latched and then I'd stick this tiny little uh-huh. hose in the corner of his mouth and then he'd be getting me plus the Extras. formula. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. There is the... Um, Lots of controversy over this area, the whole FEDA's best campaign and that kind of things. So whereas we are nurses, I feel like we take that into account. Babies do need to be fed. Yeah. So if you're feeding, exclusively breastfeeding, the things that mom should be watching for are that baby's having enough wet and poopy diapers. Mm-hmm. That's the most simple thing for moms and dads to see because you're changing them all. Um, so if you're seeing wet and poopy diapers and your baby is seeming content and relaxed, mm-hmm. then you're doing okay. Also, the doctor will be monitoring the weight, but that's not something well, you can see like Well, that's what was freaking me out is I have big babies. So my first one was nine pounds and they were freaking out because he'd lost like six ounces or whatever. And, and he was hypoglycemic, you know, mm-hmm. because he hadn't, hadn't eaten for five years and I would, but my milk takes a long time to come in and it was just really stressful because they kept pushing formula on me and I felt like, well, he's pooping and peeing and sleeping and what do, you know, like, why do I need to, so that actually my first breastfeeding journey was very rough. I think because of all the interventions in the hospital, mm-hmm. they, they did, um, uh, some medical procedures to my son right after he was born. So he was kind of loopy and didn't really want to, 
didn't want to latch and then and then they kept focusing on the weight and at one point this why I'm so passionate about breastfeeding not that I know a whole lot about it but I'm passionate about getting the education um absolutely is is because I remember and you know the postpartum fog you know the couple of days oh, your, that, brain your, your brain just brain's exploded not, this is what I heard I, I'm not saying this is what she said but this is what I heard I took my baby to uh, the hospital IBCLC and she said, if we, if he doesn't gain such and such ounces, ounces by the end of the week, I'm going to call DCFS. I'm going to call Child Protective oh, no. Services and we're going to have to remove your baby. I don't know that's what she said, but that's what I heard. I don't know what she could have said that would have sounded different, but that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. And it sent me into a spiral of anxiety anxiety, and oh my gosh. And then it ended up, years later, we're going to talk about this, right? Tongue tie. It ended up my son had a pretty severe tongue tie. And so his latch wasn't, his latch was really shallow and he wasn't pulling my milk in. He wasn't in very efficient. Because I thought I was broken and I supplemented. Um, but later babies, I was fine. We have both experienced sitting with a mom mm-hmm. who has been given a complete anxiety attack by a practitioner over this specific weight marks. And to the point that I have even had a cute mom who was feeding her baby absolutely plenty, but she was exclusively pumping and bottle feeding because this doctor had yep. her so That's concerned. That's what I did for the first baby, pumped uh-huh. and bottle fed because uh-huh. I couldn't, I wanted to know exactly how many ounces he was taking. Yes. She left my office and I said, <sighs> and as of today, you're exclusively breastfeeding. <laughs> Your baby is amazing. And, and it's okay, but we have worked, and we do work with babies that aren't gaining weight, and we do work with moms that there isn't enough milk, so mm-hmm. there is that. But sometimes this meeting this certain mark sends moms into such a spiral when in truth, they might just have a slower exactly. baby gain. to gain weight. That's but it. So by the time I had my fourth, my, my, I knew my pattern, and my babies are born huge, and they stay the same size for two months. So my babies don't double their birth weight till about six months old. And they say, you know, so according to, you know, all the charts, I'm mm-hmm. a terrible mother. But now I have a 10-pound, you know, nine and a half, nine and a half newborn. And then by the t- time they're two months, they're still 10 pounds and doing really, really well. rolls and rolls just fine, sleeping through the night, just totally fine. Mm-hmm. And so my, by my fourth, my midwife is like totally chill, like, don't worry about it. We got it. I was like, yeah, no worries. That's experience. Yeah. <laughs> and also, do you, um, do people like still wet nurse? Like, is that a thing or is it just weird that I did it with my nephew? Um, no, it all depends on the comfort level of everyone involved. So um, we've had, we know, I knew a nurse that um, we had, I had two friends that had babies at the same time and they both worked the night shift and they just planned it so that. They, one mom stayed home and nursed both babies and the other mom worked so that they could feed their babies because one wouldn't take a bottle. So it's all about comfort level. Um, we actually are blessed to work with moms. We had a mom who had a double mastectomy and wasn't able to nurse. And she asked us if we knew anyone who had an extra milk and that would donate. And we were able to get her milk um, for a good a year, yeah. Um, and wow, so yeah. she fed her baby for a year with donor milk. So I feel like donor milk and mom sharing is is really, really huge right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, moms are that have extra are willing to share with others. And it brings them so close and so much comfort to each other to be giving their milk to someone that really needs it. There are also milk donor programs as well. I did. Uh, I did donate to milk oh, to the milk wonderful. banks. Wonderful. Yes, yep. we love. We're 
huge proponents of the milk banks um, wherever your local milk bank is. I did one where they condense it down into like liquid gold for preemies and they specialized in preemies. So I actually, when I was in the Nagio, I could order the milk. I was in charge of ordering the milk. And so you can order preemie milk. You can order lactose-free milk. You can order a bunch of different milks that moms have different diets for specific preemies mm. when we were in the NICU. And we know the power that breast milk has in saving lives, especially in those itty-bitties that need Itty-bitty all the help they can get. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. So what's your next myth? Our myth number three is my baby needs to be on a schedule and sleeping through the night. I recently was helping a mom and I said, what is your main goal from our appointment today? And she said, I would like my baby to sleep through the night. And her baby was two weeks old. So <laughs> I was wanted to be so cough, cautious and yeah. kind with her, but let her know that that probably well, wasn't going to Well, my baby sleep through happening. the night at two weeks. What's wrong with everybody else? Just kidding. Yeah, that's what yes. Don't let a mom know that because... No, um, I'm the, they don't, okay, but I'm good. just joking. <laughs> um, the, the, there's two reasons why sleeping through the night just isn't feasible. Not only because of stomach size for the babies, they just are little itty bitty and they need to be waking every few hours to nurse. Um, but it's So the baby needs it, but also the mom needs it. So your body needs to remove milk about eight to 10 times in 24 hours. So... If we're sleeping through the Ooh, night, I see the problem then there. we're mm-hmm. telling our body, we have this mechanism in our body that sends a message to our brain if we have overly full breasts to slow down the presses. Um, and so actually what that happens is we have some moms that start to put their babies on sleep schedules or sleep training or give extra bottles right before bed to try to get baby to sleep through the night. And then we see them in a few weeks for low milk supply. Mm-hmm. And and so it's because we're not taking that milk out of our bodies. And actually, that was my problem. I dried up early with my first two because I didn't understand that um, my body just cannot go so many hours through the night. So baby number three, I wisened up and um, would do a dream feed. So I'd go in and I would take my sleeping baby from their crib at midnight, nurse them, and put them back so that I could go an extra six hours and sleep till six in the morning when they were a little older, when they were about three months old. A dream feed. That's, That's what we a call idea. it. Some moms don't like the thought of waking up their child because their child doesn't go back to sleep easily. Mm-hmm. And so they would rather pump in the middle of the night when their child is able to sleep longer stretches through the night. And hey, That sounds like a great compromise. Yeah. I had one friend, her, um, her baby's sleep ridiculously amounts of hours consecutively, um, but they don't nap during the day. So that was her oh, yeah. trade-off. Yep. <laughs> she I was like, one of those. do not wake that sleeping child. <laughs> yep. And so I was like, well, if you want to keep your milk, this is what you have to do. So she got up and pumped, but she had dried up with her first three. And then with her fourth, she contacted me and she was able to feed, nurse that baby over a year um, because she just understood the mechanisms and mechanics of her body. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way, one reason of why we need for ourselves to empty our breasts frequently through the night. Um, the other reason is those first few months, um, babies' bodies don't make melatonin. So your baby oh, doesn't. Oh, that explains <laughs> so right? much. So, I, my entire life is been Yes. And so your body what actually the makes the melatonin for the baby. So those oh. nighttime feedings are super important those oh first few months. Oh, my gosh. Um, I am having PTSD. <laughs> sorry. So yeah. Bad. Sleep, baby. Sleep, baby. Every time you're feeding in the night. Yeah. Oh. So, so you're... And, 
so your body makes the melatonin for babies so that they can get um, um, learn how the circadian rhythm works, get that melatonin, sleep a little better. Sorry, I feel like I lost 10 years of my life <laughs> for the lack of that piece of information. Yeah, so around three months, which is when babies start to sleep longer, their bodies start to secrete oh. their own melatonin. And when they say, oh, they've just got their schedules wonked, uh, it's because they just don't have a schedule. They don't. Just, okay. Babies work on a 24-hour clock. Um, we always just say, after you have a baby, it's one long day for about six weeks because <laughs> night never comes. That like ending in the world, sleeping and resetting never happens. It's just more feedings. Um, wow. So, and that's actually probably pretty important for the newborn not to get super sleepy because then it wouldn't be interested in eating, which is really important exactly. to, to, to grow in that first six weeks. So I guess it, I guess the universe makes sense. But we actually get a tiny bit concerned when someone's like, my baby's so good. They sleep all the time. <laughs> I can never wake them up. That's a red, like, flag. red flag. Red flags. <laughs> oh yeah. What is that a red, red flag well, for? Well, because Actually, you think that babies that are hungry would scream and cry for more milk because they're hungry. But in truth, sometimes they just go to sleep. Um, what happens to when like you're preserve energy mm-hmm. if they're starving? Mm-hmm. What happens oh, wow. when you're fasting for the day? What do you want to do? Get sleep? in your bed and oh, sleep. Oh, that's not good. So it's just like a shutdown mechanism. And so t- sometimes really hungry babies or babies that aren't getting enough to eat, they're overly sleepy. Because they just shut down. They have to conserve the energy because they're not getting enough. Oh, my gosh. And so they just turn off. So when we hear a mom say that, um, we start to investigate a little further. We, we find it being a IBCLC is a lot of detective work. We have to figure out yeah. the, the story, the situation, what's going on with mom, what's going on with baby. How do these pieces? Because we never have one patient. We always have two. Mm-hmm. And how they work together. And one together. of them can't talk to you. Exactly. So we, we read all the signs, we get all the information and the history, and we try to figure out how this particular puzzle works together because everyone, again, is different. And that's why it, an IBCLC and seeing a professional is so important because your mom or your sister or your friend can tell you their experience and what worked for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was them and yeah. their baby and, and their, their ba- body. Yep. So that's why it's super important to, to see a professional. Yeah. Awesome. What else? What other myths All do you right. hear? Our next myth is that formula is equal in value to breast milk. Um, it is true that formula can nutritionally feed and grow a baby. And thank heavens that we thank have it. Thank goodness. Yes. Really? If we oh, hallelujah. How many babies right? would not be, how many of us would not be here without formula? Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we're so grateful to have it. However, that one piece that is missing is that formula is not a living, um, changing fluid like breast milk is. And breast milk is a living, changing fluid all throughout the day, throughout the lifespan of the baby. I was going to say, that the time baby. that my milk was blue, tell me about that. Why was my milk blue? <laughs> oh. <laughs> like see-through? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, see-through blue, kind of, yeah, a little sky so we've blue. we've seen lots of colors of milk. And lots of colors. When, color, when we talk about colors of milk, I, we've seen green milk and, and purple milk and pink milk. And so when we, we have to, again, figure out why we're doing with milk. But usually it's, a, it's either medication or an additive, food additive. So we had the one yeah. mom. I had this one mom who was pumping for a NICU baby and her milk was so green. I've never seen anything like it. And we were so perplexed. And finally talking to her, she says, I have been craving black licorice like nothing else. And she was eating so much black licorice. Her milk was green. It's probably not great for a NICU baby. (laughs) We were like, Okay, chill on the, <laughs> maybe chill on the black licorice. We're Don't wean eat off so the black much. licorice a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it could be something like that. We do sometimes, we see all sorts of colors of colostrum as well, and moms mm-hmm. get really nervous about that. 
that can just be a little bit of like getting going at the beginning. We call it rusty pipe syndrome. So anything <laughs> from like dark yellow, orange. light yellow, orange to reddish, any of that can be really um, normal color for interesting for colostrum and is safe for baby. Yeah. Um, talking about how breast milk is a living yeah. fluid. So um, I saw this Facebook picture and this little story this mom gave me and immediately emailed her and said, I need permission and pictures to share your story. So she was tandem feeding um, a newborn and a toddler and the toddler got sick and she got really worried that she didn't want the newborn to get sick. Oh, I sick. saw that on Facebook. And so she exclusively fed one breast for one baby and the one other breast for the other baby. And the way our bodies work, again, our bodies are miraculous, but your nipples actually just are sensi- sensing what baby needs. So we call it biofeedback, but basically when your baby attaches and latches onto your nipple, their saliva get on your nipple and your body reads their saliva on what antibodies baby needs. So this is a little side note. This is why it's really important if we have an exclusive Mm -hmm. pumping mama that baby licks or sucks on the nipple every few days so that her body can continue to make what exactly the breast milk that baby needs. Because we're all for, I mean, those mamas that exclusively pump are warriors. Yes. They are so good to give that milk to their babies. Um, And for whatever reason that pumping works best for that dynamic and that duo, um, but they still need to let baby lick or, or suck every, every so often to get that. That's a good piece of advice. Um, But for this particular mama who was tandem feeding (laughs) and exclusively um, feeding one baby um, each breast, she pumped after 24 hours and it was incredible to see the difference. The toddler who was sick, her milk reverted almost, it looked like colostrum. It was super orange, so full of antibodies and the things that that baby needed and double the amount where the amount on the right side that she had fed the newborn was half the size. Cause that baby's tummy wasn't that big and was milky white because that baby wasn't sick. Wow. <laughs> so, um, her body responded to the needs of each individual child because, Again, we have two breasts, right? And they work independently of each other. They're oh not my goodness. connected. I had never so it's, about this. it's separate mammary glands uh-huh. that get the message and the memo to work. So a lot of times moms that do have um, mastectomies on one side can exclusively nurse baby on the other side because that They're one fine. breast yeah, will, the will make enough. Still works. But we also hear a lot of times, this is another kind of just funny thing we hear from moms is they'll come in and they'll be like, something's wrong with me. One side makes more than the other, Uh Um, which again, one side, we usually call it the power producer and the slacker boob because one side can either for whatever reason, the nipple shape works better. So it Uh gets more, it gets um, more stimulation or it actually has more um, glandular tissue in it. So Mm -hmm. it has better glands that can make more milk. So more milk producing cells on that side Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. um, And there can be a lot that one side Makes more well, that's, than the other. that's what happened with my first baby is he preferred one side to the other. I couldn't even get him to go on the other. And so I was I was frantic about how to, to feed him. And it turned out uh, that, well, the second baby, I was sort of still lopsided. Third baby, it kind of evened out and the fourth baby is fine. And I realized that he had actually, with a tongue tie, and I think the way he was born, he had a crick in his neck. Like he just couldn't turn his, his neck effectively to mm-hmm. get that angle of that side. Mm-hmm. So do you see that sometimes too? Absolutely. All the time. Yep, we do. Especially when moms will say, my baby only wants to feed on the right side, or I feed fine on the right side, but the left side is so hard. Um, the baby has been growing for nine months in the uterus, and sometimes they've grown in a crazy direction and they 
are delivered in a crazy situation. And then that affects them through their whole breastfeeding experience. So we do a lot of work with this. And this is something we were going to get to. But body work is essential during this time. What's body work? It's having either chiropractic care, cranial sacral therapy, OMT, which is osteopathic um, manual therapy. Uh-huh. Just a, it's, it's like when you get a crank in your neck and you need ma- massage, mm-hmm. infant massage. And so we, ha- we have a lot of babies. Actually, most of our babies we send to have body work done just to help get out those crinks and those kinks and, and things that are hurting or inhibiting mm. making breastfeeding easier. Because breastfeeding, a baby needs to be able to extend their neck and lift their chin and be able to breast and get deep into the breast. And if that hurts, we see these really shallow latches because yep. they keep their head and their neck tucked down, which mm-hmm. then all of a sudden we, and Anna and I usually see it on the nipple damage and the nipple pain that moms come in. And that's again, that detective, we're trying to figure out why we are having nipple damage. Is it baby? Is it positioning? Is it mouth? Is it what's going on in this story that's creating this damage and this pain. And a lot of times it's a combo. It's not just one thing. Um, it's the way baby's preferring to be held. Torticollis, a lot of times, um, what it's called is torticollis is that crink of the neck. Babies come in and... and I thought torticollis is where they develop the flat side on their head, but that, that's a that's a symptom of what's going on, mm-hmm. right? That's um, called plagiocephaly is the flat head, the flat mm-hmm. spot in the back of the head. But torticollis can definitely cause that because... And what torticollis is, I loved how someone else put it was that the side that is tight, that side of the neck is just doing what it's best at, which is being tight. And that's why they always turn to that side. The other side is not as tight and it's not strong enough to pull it back straight oh. to center or or equally turn to both sides. Uh-huh. So that one side's just doing all this extra work and um, can definitely affect breastfeeding and also head shape. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. like that, you know, you think of a basketball you can roll it as many times as you want, and it's always going to be flat and be on that flat side, right? So um, we see these babies come into our office, and and a red flag for us, we're talking about red flags and these myths, um, we see baby in the car seat with its head tilted because it can't maintain a midline. Mm. Um, and so we see some seriously tilted heads. You have some a fun job. <laughs> we, oh, we have the best job in the world. Oh my we, goodness. We we love this, but also we have different eyes than most people. <laughs> yeah. So this, Sherry and I will see a baby and I'll just grab her by the hand and be like, and we know. we're saying to each other, uh-huh, do you see uh-huh, that? Uh-huh. Whereas like you're looking at your own baby who's so perfect and cute and never thought a thing about well, it. Well, you know, the other thing, our brains um, don't like imbalance. And so even if somebody has a facial, like their face is uneven and skiwampus, our brains will correct for it. So we literally can't see it. But when you meet a stranger, your brain hasn't like corrected for that person yet. And so you'll see the, the skiwampusness. I believe that to be true. I uh-huh. actually had a mom come in with a six-month-old baby. And someone had told her about what we do in our clinic and Every single picture she had of her baby, his head was cricked to the one side. And she said, I just said, isn't that cute? He loves his head to that side for six months. And there was so much more work to be done oh, yeah, because compared to so as a newborn. Long. So well, I'll ask a mom, do you notice, because when I see it, do you notice that she always likes to have her head turned to the right? 
Never noticed a thing about it. Within the week, I'll get a text from her. I can't believe it. She really only <laughs> looks to the right. It's just something you never even think to look for. Not only are they not looking at it, but moms, we're so good at compensating. So a mom, to mm. get a mom to breastfeed, I'll have a mom tell me her, her baby's choking and coughing. Maybe she has a... a um, really effective or overactive letdown. And so yeah. she just like the baby's trying to drink from a fire hose. So this mom, without knowing, she leans back, she put, lifts baby up. So baby's at a different angle so that baby's not choking as much. Moms will compensate and change their body to be able to help baby eat the best the baby can. Mm. So when Anne's le- like Anne said, baby will only nurse on one side. This way, mom will automatically turn baby into football hold on the other side so the baby can nurse in the same position just oh just compensating for this mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so moms are we're amazing we we just will try to help that well, baby and we're eat. desperate to make the baby stop crying oh yeah then and, and babies will get food the number one is airway babies will always be able to protect their airway and breathe and the second is the baby's gonna try to get food however much they can yeah. from mom yeah. Okay. So that that's another little myth I'll slip in there. Um, I'm very well blessed. And so I'm always worried that I'm going to suffocate my babies. Yeah. So the human race has nostrils to breastfeed. Did oh. you know that? So you can actually be, baby can be right up against the breast and breathe through their nose. And so this is a podcast and you didn't know that I just actually put my hand on my <laughs> we nose can hear it. and bri- breathe through it so that we're, we're very visual learners. We're always <laughs> showing things and talking anyway. Sorry. But the nostril thing is because babies um, need to be really close, held really tight and need to be in what we call a sniffing position. So if the chin is actually deeper in the breast, the nose will actually come away a little bit. But sometimes moms that are well endowed and have very large breasts. Yeah, there's no control. There is no control. <laughs> and so um, babies will be have that breast right in. And we, we discourage moms from what we cr- call creating airspace. So a lot of times moms will push down on their breast tissue around the baby's mm. nose to create the space of air for them, um, for baby to breathe. And in doing that, they actually push on the ducts and can create problems oh, for themselves, like milk Mes- plugs uh-huh. and things like that, plug milk duct. When in actuality, we just need to position baby properly. Well, yeah, and that was one thing that I learned that um, I can't nurse sleeping up if I'm tired because I'll fall asleep and then I will this I worried about like literal suffocation. Yeah, and that and can so happen. I did sideline position a lot. I laid down. And we nurse on the side lying. because um, then there was never a, the baby could roll away at any point and turn its head and it wasn't trapped. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was one of my compensating yeah behaviors. You did it. <laughs> you did it. We love side lying. We love laid back nursing. We love laying down. The more relaxed mom can be, the better her milk will flow. Mm. Um, and then she doesn't get cranks in her neck. I mean, I remember complaining to my husband after the first week of of life with each of my kids like my neck hurts well who stares at your chest 24 hours a day no one no one stares at their chest <laughs> but there's a baby right but there. until so you cute. have to stare at it and you're like are you on the right are you latched properly and so so then your neck gets hurt and so you need to bring baby up mm-hmm. lean back relax so that your neck isn't kinked and hurt so body mechanics for all all right what else do you have we could go on all day. Oh, we'd love to talk about <laughs> yeah. all of this. Um, so the next one we were going to cover is that breastfeeding only benefits the baby. Um, lots of moms say, well, I just want to breastfeed so bad because I know that it's best for my baby. Oh, because it makes you lose weight, right? 
<laughs> ding, ding, ding. That's the direction we're Not going. for me. I don't have a brain and I don't lose weight as long as I'm breastfeeding. And that's that's the hard thing. Is so we get a lot of moms come into us and they're like, oh my gosh, all my friends said that, or I read in these books that uh-huh. it helps with weight loss and here I am more yeah. Wait. So for me, again, I'm my baby right now, currently, number six is two months old. And I know now on number six that if I drop the last 10 or 15 pounds that I gained during pregnancy, I will lose my milk. And I learned that because mm. on my second baby, all of a sudden I started diet. When I started to feel energy and I, I came out of that brain fog, the newborn fog, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my goodness, I actually want now to get my body back. I want to be able to fit in my pre-pregnancy jeans. I want to feel good about myself again instead of being super squishy. And so I started kickboxing. I started dieting. And within three weeks, I lost my milk. Like oh, it literally went away. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I would went back to, I stopped dieting. I stopped exercising. And for me, our um, I have to keep on that fat because our hormones uh-huh. are what drive our milk supply. And my hormones don't work right when I am super skinny um, and and super in shape. And well, and what your body's doing to lose weight. Exactly. It's, it's, it's shifting your hormones anyway. Yeah. Wait. And it's taking that adipose tissue from mm-hmm. my breasts because I know when I'm super in shape, I have no boobs. Um, and so then that I have nothing to feed my baby. Um, and so so for us, a lot of times, and a lot of moms, you don't feel good. So so take it mildly. Like mm-hmm. I've learned now I can walk. I can do some weightlifting. I just can't do heavy amounts of cardio. Um, and to restrict lose, your diet. And restrict my diet to lose mm-hmm. that extra weight. Now I have one friend who her babies suck the life out of her. And she <laughs> yeah, has I've specific breastfeeding jeans that she can only fit into when she's breastfeeding because she just, she does her body metabolizes so much Mm -hmm. so that she can make the milk and she's, that's her. So everybody I love and different. hate her at the same yeah. time. <laughs> but we shouldn't we shouldn't use each other as a model. I mean, really. Yeah. The best idea is to is to eat a balanced diet and what your baby Oh, oh. Talk about like when I when I had first had my baby, my first one, my mom said, Well, now you can't eat chocolate or cabbage or broccoli mm-hmm. or and I was like, Wait, wait, what? I can't eat why can't I eat certain things? And I don't I don't know. I just yeah. kinda Moms ask us this all the time. So what can I not eat? We actually don't say restrict yourself from anything right from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the myths include broccoli and cabbage and onions and chocolate and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And really, a well-balanced diet, things that you normally eat, are okay. Um, we just say that if you're starting to notice that every single time that you drink a whole Dr. Pepper and eat a Hershey bar, that your baby doesn't sleep or seems to have an upset tummy, I'm talking like three or four times, and you might start avoiding that. But right from the start, there's no reason to be avoiding all sorts of food. We've actually worked with a lot of different um, cultures um, throughout our work, and different cultures mm-hmm. think that they need to avoid certain foods, which is quite interesting, interesting. to us. So, I mean, what you what you eat does get passed. One time I, well, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think it is true, okay? I ate this big old uh, fresh-made smooth, uh, mango smoothie. I mean, like frozen mango, fresh mango with milk. Like it was so good, you know, because after you have a baby, you don't, you'll eat sidewalk if you need it. <laughs> and and I needed mangoes. Anyway, like six or seven hours later, my newborn, maybe two months old, she burped and I could have sworn it smelled like mango. And I was like, wait a minute. Did you have a smoothie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, babies can have sensitivities and then you can adjust your diet. But you're saying don't start off by assuming Eliminating that your baby's not going to be. No, no, no. You, 
are trying so hard to be such a good mom. And sometimes we make ourselves crazy on our own because we're told different things and we try to restrict mm-hmm. our diet or whatever. And like Anne said, when we when a baby comes to us and we're seeing rashes and we're seeing other reasons that we might need to start an elimination diet, we don't do that until we see reasons to. Yeah, so, makes a lot of sense. So just keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. And they actually, I did actually just read an article recently about how different ethnicities um, that eat different foods that are different spices and different things like that, babies are more prone to eat that because they've drinking in their the mom's milk. Yeah. Um, and so, and and to kind of explain a little bit better what we eat doesn't directly go into our milk I have moms no no come, I have moms come and tell me I just <laughs> drink eight you know work. they also increase their milk intake because they want to make enough milk or they want to make more milk or um and so your blood supply is what makes your right. milk so so it's the capillaries that surround the glands and this is getting all that technical so you're, stuff yeah no IBCLC. no it's really interesting I didn't know this until recently but your mammary glands it's actually pulling from your bloodstream yes so that day my blood was very mangoish well so if we have a leaky gut this is getting all into oh. other stuff so, so we talk about the you know the Brain gut blood. and the gut health and the gut brain stuff oh, like I'm sure all that stuff so when we so when we get stuff into our bloodstream that shouldn't be there like dairy or wheat or other things like that then our babies oh. get it but i mean if you eat a, a ton of garlic you sweat garlic right yeah um, your sweat smells like garlic. So so when we eat a ton of garlic or a ton of chocolate, like I swear my kids are fed on chocolate milk because basically <laughs> that's all I want to eat lately. <laughs> it's so, a medical need. It is a medical a need. I'm surviving right now. And so um, when we when we eat a lot of certain things like um, other ethnicities that eat a lot of spices, mm-hmm. like Indians that have lots of curry and lots of those spices mm-hmm. where when they sweat, they sweat spices because that's what they ingest. Yep. Their milk well, it tastes has like that. Spices. <laughs> so spicy. spicy milk. Mm, yummy. I want to touch on one other myth when it comes to mom's bodies, and that is that breastfeeding decreases postpartum depression and anxiety. And oh, I've heard that a lot in enlightened circles recently. Yeah. It's yes. not true. Well, it can it can be true, but what we see sometimes is that moms who are really struggling to breastfeed. First of all, you you just grew this human mm-hmm. inside of your body and you dreamed about this little person and you were going to do everything right and love it unconditionally and all of a sudden they come out, everything didn't go like you planned, everything is hard, um, your hormones are crazy, breastfeeding is harder than you thought and you never sleep. And that is just a huge... Sleep con- and you're dead. You don't need to sleep. What are you talking <laughs> about? A huge oh, concoction so for yeah. postpartum depression and anxiety. And yeah. so we do find that moms who are struggling to breastfeed, it's not generally the mom that's beautifully breastfeeding and everything's going fine. It's the mom struggling to keep up milk supply or deal with nipple pain that is absolutely terrible or mm-hmm. she can barely tolerate it or a super fussy baby or baby that won't latch a baby that won't gain weight that stress sometimes just really exacerbates mm-hmm. the postpartum depression or anxiety you can become fixated on the tiniest drop of milk or on well the, i did i totally experienced or, that or sure mm-hmm. moms do this because they so badly want to do everything right for their babies so there have been times where I have sat with a patient and she's crying and I'm crying and I'm saying, your baby needs a healthy, happy, functioning mom. 
more than your baby needs breast milk. And that's the mm-hmm. truth because if you are not functioning and you cannot care for your baby and mm-hmm. you are not yourself, the breast milk is just a side note to that. So well, to be able to lactate is a hormonal process. Mm-hmm. And if the if the concoction of hormones pulsing through your, your veins is causing yeah. you anxiety and depression. And and sometimes moms that are prone to anxiety or are already struggling with depression before they have the baby, then we have this human where you feel responsible for sustaining life with your breast milk. Yeah, that's and not stressful it's, at all. It's a, little, it's a little <laughs> stressful. And then things, like Anne said, things don't go well. And then we have outside pressures telling us to breastfeed. So we have a, a husband or a mom or a grandma um, saying you have to breastfeed your baby, or Instagram, or Instagram, <laughs> or or just oh, your own Instagram. expectations that are yeah. unmet. Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about that because we want to be that perfect mom, and we're mm-hmm. not. We're not, no one's perfect, and we have this this um, sign on our office wall that says you don't have to be perfect to be amazing and we just yeah. you know every mom that comes into our room we just hug her and love her and say you are amazing because you're you had a baby and you are creating life and you are trying so hard to be yeah. a good mom and we we always just want to remind that your baby came to you for a reason and you are the perfect mama for that baby and your body i mean your body grew this human so your yes. body, body yes. obviously knows how to feed this human oh so big boobs equals lots of milk small boobs equals little milk right not true not at all <laughs> not always i love this um apartment analogy that someone gave me a while ago but sometimes when you have a huge house or a large breast your stuff is everywhere. It's <laughs> oh not my very gosh. organized. It doesn't function or move very well. It just it's not on its best. And if you have a tiny house or a tiny apartment, everything's organized. Everything's where it needs that to be is and hilarious. everything functions really well. Yeah. So sometimes we can have the smallest boobs making the most milk. So no more judgy each other on the milk oh, on the, for sure. the boob thing. I have seen I saw the smallest chested mom when I worked in the NICU. She exclusively her her quads, her four babies, exclusive <gasps> breast milk. Wow. She could pump gallons. I mean, she came out of a lot of times in the NICU we do a twenty four hour pump to She see must have how memory glands in her legs or something. Seriously. <laughs> and she she came out with like five, six bottles and I thought, Oh, is that your like twenty four hour collection? Because her babies were so little and she's like, This is one pumping Sherry and I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, you pump gallons. But we see that, yeah. you know, that some small, small chests make and it's and it can be so frustrating because I had one mom say, Why do I have these ginormous boobs when I can't breastfeed my baby and it can you know the emotional side of things that we see is it a little bit genetic too uh yeah a lot of times if if we have a mom that um says her grandma wasn't able to breastfeed Mm -hmm. her mom was unable to breastfeed and so there's there's sometimes things that happen that you know um again those first few days are the super important time and so so if we have a mom that we see prenatally, she comes to us so we can have a game plan. Oh, um, that's so a we point. do a lot of um, prenatal education. They can come visit with us, and we can say, "Okay, we are going to give you your best chance to make as much milk as you can." And sometimes that much milk is two ounces in twenty-four hours. Mm-hmm. And we say, "Halla freaking luya!" Yeah, you made two ounces because two ounces still has the antibodies. Exactly. It still has the everything. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we are so happy for that baby to get those two ounces and that goodness for that baby and then baby gets calories from formula the rest of the time Mm -hmm. and we just love whatever baby can get yeah so what um oh really quick i want to just 
share a story about the hormonal thing with the breastfeeding because I, um, my first baby weaned himself at about 10 months and my second at 11 and my third at about 10 months as well. And with all three of those, I noticed that after about two weeks of not doing milk anymore, I like my brain, I could, I could think in straight lines and I felt like I was finally human again. It's not that I felt terrible before, but just kind of like a haze, kind of like a damper pedal on a piano, the a little bit, a little bit. And so I thought, well, um, that, you know, it made sense to me. And then I had my fourth baby who didn't wean in 11 months or 12 months or 13 months or 14 months or 15 months or 16 months or a year or two or three. And I thought at this point, maybe something's wrong with me, but she was so cute. And I thought, well, I mean, the other's kids weaned. I guess she'll eventually forget the sucking reflex. And I mean, we can't do this all the way to prom. So... <laughs> So anyway, she weaned at like four and a half and um, two weeks later, my brain came back and I was like, whoa, (laughs) so it really is legitimately, it's a hormonal thing. And I had forgotten for four and a half years what it felt like not to live with the haze and I was just blown away. Sherry's in the haze. Are you <laughs> in the haze? Sometimes you feel well, and it's I have a two month old, so again we're not sleeping a lot. Yeah, through the night, um, I'm getting my chunks of sleep. Mommy so. brain is a thing. Mommy brain is a total thing, and um, and then also I think moms that have multiple children, you almost compartmentalize part of your brain to, for that kid because what does that kid have to do? What are we doing? Because I have older kids, mm-hmm. so we're trying to figure out schedules and where I'm supposed to get them. And so people ask me questions, and sometimes I look at them and I'm like, wait a second, it'll come. It'll come. <laughs> I have to turn that part of my brain on, like the lactation questions. I'm like, okay, wait, just a second. The processing speed's a little we're slow. Getting, we're getting there. Okay, now, yes, let's talk. <laughs> so, no shame, though. I no, mean, really. not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Um, and and the hard thing right now, the sleep when baby sleeps, sleep for depression, sleep for brain function, sleep for milk. When we don't get milk or we don't get sleep, it's hard to make milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I hate when people say sleep when baby sleeps. When I'm like, I have. So much other stuff to do. Mm-hmm. How do I sleep? Because I I can't. I physically can't. I have teenagers and toddlers to de- deal with. Um, but getting a little bit of a nap, I've learned, mm-hmm. can reset my brain and and make it function and make it help my milk supply in the evenings. So our milk supplies actually work on a circadian rhythm. Um, so we have more milk in the mornings because our hormones are higher in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then that evil bewitching hour in the evenings when everyone asks, "What the heck is wrong with my baby?" Um, and I am wondering if I have low milk supply, even though I've got rolls upon rolls on my baby, um, it's because oh. my milk supply is lower in the evenings. And so, Jeez. okay, people go get an IBCLC, go take classes, <laughs> go learn all the things. Give us a call. Um, it's because that baby needs more frequent feedings in the evening because you aren't making it as much at one time. And wow. so, and, and we have moms that have panic attacks and so they give that baby a bottle or that well-meaning husband that's like, just give the baby a bottle. We will solve all of our problems. Yeah. Um, but then your body doesn't get the stimulation. And we can go on and on about that, about how that kind of is a spiral of doom. Oh, have you ever induced a non-birthing person to lactation, like an adoptive mother or a father? Have you ever induced lactation in anybody? We have wanted to. <laughs> we have had little experience with this. It is quite an involved process. Mm. Um, and we would love to do that with someone from start to finish. We have done a lot of relactation work with moms. Well, yeah, because once um, she's had some milk, it's easy to bring it back. But to start from ground zero, like for an adoptive family or a surrogacy. Yeah, we, so I've had a couple of, of experiences where it was adopted um, 
baby that mom wanted to lactate um, that she had never lactated before. And the one mom, one of the moms I'm thinking about, um, never got to a full milk supply. Um, again, her body wasn't able to hold, to carry a baby. Um, and that's why she was doing the adoptive process. And sometimes we run into difficulty maintaining mm-hmm. milk because there's reasons and hormones and things like that, that her body wasn't able to carry a baby, but she was able to lactate. Um, and we were able to get that bond and, and nurse that baby. Um, but she did have to give and supplement with formula to get calories because she wasn't able to get a full milk if someone's thinking of doing that though they need to think ahead of time like Mm -hmm. it is a process and it takes Mm -hmm. time so just starting like the day you get the baby is gonna no that's not gonna work gonna take some time Uh -uh. so there are absolutely protocols and ways to do that but it needs to be thought about ahead of time yeah and and also work with someone like a specialist yeah because it's probably going to involve herbs and drugs uh-huh. and I exactly. got I got cryptosporidium when my baby was little and I didn't was not ready to stop breastfeeding he was too little and so I, I went on some drugs to yeah. bring the milk back and I had weird side effects like hurt my yeah. joints and stuff yeah. so it's like it's real stuff involved process I got my it milk is. back and I stopped the drugs well, but my goodness you. <laughs> you're a dedicated mama that's awesome yeah well I remember that whole uh, yeah <laughs> so the fed is best is that what you like whatever it takes to keep so this baby hungry? We or do full? as as IBCLCs and NICU nurses and as moms, there's different parts of our brain where we say, Yes, fed is best. There's also the part that we sometimes get sad when we do know that these babies do need breast milk. You know, we are mammals and the human race needs breast milk to thrive and survive and and do well. Is so fed is best kind of an excuse to try other things before trying to really problem solve? Is that I think it fed is best is so simple. Every, you put it out there for everybody. And so then it downplays, I feel like, all the other things that moms mm. can do to try to assess the situation. Fed is best is like a an overall thing for doesn't fit every single baby, doesn't fit every right. single mom. So that's why we take every single mom and baby combo individually. Yes, sometimes in the end, just giving up a bottle and some formula is necessary, but sometimes we can have both. We can have breastfeeding. We can have formula mm-hmm. feeding. We just need to take each mom and baby individually. But jumping to conclusion, if mom is not feeding the baby in the first three days that like fed is best, give this baby a bottle, it can spiral it from can, there. Yeah. Well, that's I experienced that for sure. Yeah. yeah. But we're nurses too. So I feel like that's what makes us really great at, at what we do because we know when to say for the health of your baby – your baby needs a supplement mm-hmm. and that's what we're going to do. So, And um, and like Anne said, with each individual baby and, and dynamic duo of moms, half of our job is being a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Like we are so excited and, and, and we just want to encourage moms to do what they want to do and what their goal is for their baby. And so we, we do that a lot. We ask, what, what can we help you with? What is your goal? What, what can we do for this baby, for this time, for your situation in life? We see some really hard cases, really hard cases, where there's a lot going on dynamically with mom and dad and situations and, and babies um, working in the NICU. We see itty bitties go to the breast. And, and, and a lot of times it's not to breastfeed. It's just to be next to mom and, and to, Oh my gosh, there's so many more questions like binkies and uh, using the boob as a binky. Artificial nipples. We're going to need to do and inverted nipples and all different shapes of upside down nipples. We've seen it all. Double nipples. We'll have to do this Baby led weenie. I know we are so not done, (laughs) but do you have any other fun 
myths that we could cover really quickly or the last one we just wanted to talk about um so ann and i are tummy time professionals um which we get lots of funny looks as soon as we say we're tummy time professionals like is that a thing yeah like i can be a professional (laughs) well i feel like we flipped right because when i baby was born my mom's like he's got to get tummy time and then i started reading that don't stress the baby out if it doesn't like tummy time that's kind of what our myth is that my baby hates tummy time so we don't do it But actually, tummy time is essential for overall neurological development and meeting milestones and growth. And so we have really put our heart and soul into this. That's part of what we do is we are helping babies and we come to this one that we can't help. So then we are searching for like, what can we do to help this baby? And we finally, we found tummy time a few years back and it's integrated into our practice. And the tummy time method is... um, really an awesome thing to be doing. And it's important. Your baby doesn't have to hate tummy time. There's ways for them to love it. And Michelle Emanuel is an occupational therapist and it's, and the tummy time method is, is her creation. And, and it's an actual thing. We went to training and learned about it. And, um, and we work with babies again, the torticollis baby, the babies, other things that we, we deal with, um, cranial nerve development and the whole baby we look at, the, the whole picture um, because it's not just breastfeeding isn't just the mouth. Mm-hmm. It's the whole, it takes the whole body to breastfeed. And so a lot of times when Ann and I will look at a baby, we look at the whole body. We look at the way mom's body is. We look at mom's breasts and nipples, the whole thing, the whole package. And, and then moms look at us help. How, how do we help? And so yeah. when we have a baby, we can't help. Ann and I say, why couldn't we help that baby? What can we do? Why isn't it this going the way it needs to. And we found tummy time. We found, um, a lot of other things that we do exercises, oral exercises, tongue strengthening exercises that we work with. Why isn't this baby sucking? Why can't this baby, um, orally handle this nipple? What, what can we do? And so So you really have a whole arsenal you can break out to help these moms. Oh, absolutely. And that is part of our mission is to learn more and to be better. And so we've really yeah. put that into what we've done the last um, few years. And Yes, you have. Different training. Oh, my goodness. So tell, tell them like where they can find you because you guys have the most comprehensive and visually gorgeous breastfeeding course. <laughs> so where can they find more about Thanks. you? Um, so our website is successwithbreastfeeding.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Success with Breastfeeding. We do have our online course there that they can watch in about an hour. It's actually short, simple videos that you can watch at home just for one specific thing. How does my body make milk? Next section, how to latch the baby. And um, your partner can watch it with you. You can watch it as many times as you want once it's yours. And then even once you have that baby in your arms, you can go back and say, I just want to watch how to latch my baby. Yeah. We have videos in there, graphics, lots of things that help. But also keeping it simple and fun and not 500 page book that you're supposed well, to Well, yeah, and, and the, there's a lot of things you can do with those simple videos. And then if you need more help, then you can find an IBCLC. Yep. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah, awesome. And um, so you can get a lot of information on our website or find us on Facebook or Instagram. We really, really try hard to keep it real um, because sometimes <laughs> breastfeeding and mommyhood, it's just it's not just all all, yeah. white cupboards and perfect <laughs> hair and like skinny moms. Like it's just not always that. So we, we put some real stuff on there that we do because you know what? We're moms too. Well, and this is not your mom's breastfeeding. No. Breastfeeding culturally. I mean, it's different. Oh, I mean, no. we've been breastfeeding for what millennia, but culturally 
it's it's different. It changes every generation. My mm-hmm. grandma doesn't. My grandma never breastfed. A lot of you know our grandmas didn't. Yeah. We're getting so, to that point, mm-hmm. and when we see grandmas come in with their daughters. So many times they're the saying, oh they my say, gosh, where, where were you? Yep, yep. <laughs> where were I'm you when I was breastfeeding? It's only 10 years later and I'm saying, where were you guys? Yeah. And so oh. search out your resources because just having someone for support, even if things are going well, to have a check-in and say, you're doing great mm-hmm. makes you say like, I'm doing great. Oh my yep. gosh, I'm doing great. Or or to you know come up with a plan if things are not going well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I've never enjoyed talking about boobs for so long. <laughs> we and we can keep day. going. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank You're you. welcome. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.